Hello and welcome to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, we are going to be delving deep into, well, not just mine, but also a very special guest of mine's favourite movie moments. So really, this episode's going to be very uh, nerdy, shall we say. We're going to get very nerdy on this episode in terms of our favourite movie moments. Um, so like I just said, uh, I've got a special guest on with me today. Uh, very glad to get him on the podcast because I did say I'd try and get him on the podcast at some point. Uh, and it's uh, one of my old lecturers from my uni days at Oxford Brooks uh, and a great friend of mine. I, at least I would consider him a great friend. I don't know whether he would feel the same. Uh, we'll let him comment on that in just a second. But it's uh, director, filmmaker extraordinaire, Govin Chandran. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Gov. Uh, Hi, how David. are you? Nice to nice to be here. Yeah, how are you feeling today? Good, good. It's a uh, it's a great time for having well time to watch movies. Yeah, no, it's absolutely it's absolutely perfect. I mean, obviously, as of the recording of this episode, we're very. Uh, we're going, getting closer and closer to like being allowed out to do a few more things. Hopefully, cinemas will be back up and running before we know it. But you know, still in, still on tender hooks right now. Um, but so just um, for those people who don't know you, because I know some people will, some people won't. Uh, just explain to us who you are, what you do in your like in your professional career and such as a creative. Sure thing. So I'm, as you said, I'm a lecturer um, at, at Oxford Brooks University where I teach film and I teach filmmaking, but I also work as a freelance director um, and I've directed a wide range of stuff, uh, mostly short films and have focused on a variety of genres from comedy to dramas, um, web series, and most recently worked on a, a web series that's, that's now available on Amazon Prime as well. So kind of in the development of my debut feature film as we speak uh, and hopefully that will be something in the quite near future uh, yeah no, I, i'm very very excited about the feature film i think i was talking to um composer ben doherty ben we know him uh who's been doing the music for several a couple of your projects now actually uh and i, I believe actually he's just been nominated for an award i believe for some uh, a project of yours recently yeah, Ben's one of those um, people that I, I know nothing about music in terms of speaking the language. I can talk about what I like and I can kind of give him a very broad thing of these are the emotions that I want and he'll come back with just amazing work. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and honestly, I had him on the podcast um, a couple of episodes ago now and literally it was, we just totally went mad with all the... Uh, <laughs> the various film scores that we delved into there. Um, he loved it. It was. I'm, ass his... I'm assuming all of his were very dark films. I, I, Hereditary was in there. Um, oh, yeah. The Shape of Water was in there. So a little bit of a you know some nice light fluffy entertainment. It's a good film. Yeah. But it's a very uh, when I say light and fluffy, I mean very like you know romantic and angelic. Not in the not in the rubbish <laughs> sense. Uh, but yeah, so obviously we know Ben, and um, you know so that's very very well done. Well done to Ben. Shout out to Ben if you're listening on the podcast now. Um, for your achievement on your nomination um but yeah so obviously the feature film you're working towards uh it's called the manor house murders am i correct in thinking yeah it's a it's a murder mystery film and um it's very much something i wanted to do for for quite some time and we've got the entire cast we're literally waiting for uh better conditions to be open for filming really yeah no absolutely oh, as long as it's safe to do so um we cannot wait to get that off the ground and i cannot wait to see what it turns out to be i've had i, I said to ben last time i had a peek at the script and it looks uh, it's gonna be amazing so i'm very much looking forward to that but 
main reason why we got you on this podcast is so that we can have a nice chit chat, basically, um, about movie moments. And this is probably my broadest and most probably most subjective episode of the podcast so far. I mean, I'm quite subjective anyway, because most of my picks on the other episodes have been very uh, related to what I like or things that I've come across and think, oh, you know, that looks quite good. Um, but this one is very much a to and fro between us. Um, so Gov, I know you've, uh, I, we've talked about this before. You've got about five, uh, movie moments that you'd like to talk to us about. So I'm going to let you do the talking on why you think they're brilliant movie moments. Uh, but so I'll just, uh, kick things off with what each of them are called and then we'll, uh, discuss them. Uh, so yeah, of first of all, um, I'd like to, so your, I say five, so working in reverse order in the way we've got it here. Uh, I am your father from Star Wars. Yeah. Empire Strikes so Back. So from Empire Strikes Back, yes. Not not the original one, the, the sequel. Yes. Um, I think this is a great moment because for me it's one that has crossed pop culture. So it's where movies can transcend just being that movie and that story. And almost everybody you know, you know, knows that moment and knows the I am your father moment and it's one of those those genuine things that you almost have lost in cinema that ability to completely blindside the audience because there's so many spoilers out there now and there's so many trailers that give away the entire plot um, of the movie so I am your father was one thing which even the entire cast bar Mark Hamill himself didn't actually know that's the line being said because it was redubbed, you know. So it's one of those great moments and it completely changes the movie and it completely changes someone that had become this iconic, you know, amazingly known character in Darth Vader and suddenly humanized him, changed things. And if you actually go to it, it's one of those moments that, uh, I take for granted that everyone just knew Darth Vader was telling the truth. But if you actually look into it a little bit, audiences at the time actually thought, well, no, he's lying. And for years, until this, the sequel comes out, until Return of the Jedi comes out, people actually debated, is he lying? Is he telling the truth? No, he was evil. So obviously he was lying to Luke and those sorts of things. But outside of just that that nerd culture that geek culture it was able to hit everyone everybody knew that i am your father moment um so for me it's something it's an example of when cinema transcends cinema and just crosses into culture yeah i honestly i think you you pretty much took the words right out of my mouth and put them so eloquently so thank you for that one uh, <laughs> um i would def- yeah sorry go on I would say, I don't necessarily think it's the best acted scene in cinema, you know. Oh, no, it's it's definitely over, like, (laughs) it's like, that's not possible! (laughs) Exactly, you know, Mark Hamill, I love him, he's a great joker, he's he's a fun guy, but wow, that was was terrible. It was Um, terrible. I mean, it's just the way his face looks, like, his face is, it's, (laughs) it's the the voice is so whiny, but at the same time, like, you know, so he's very upset, he's, but you know, you can understand that part of it, but at the same time, it's very, it's it's his face. It's theatrical and it's melodramatic all at the same time, you know, coupled with just one of the most iconic voices ever in James yeah. Earl Jones, you know, with literally a man whose voice defines the word gravitas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, it's like when you get a really serious Shakespearean actor to play a comedy very straight, and I feel yeah. that's what this... That's a very odd comparison, I'll say now, but, you know, it's that... You know, you've got James Earl Jones, who's basically the Shakespearean 
serious actor counterpart in this sci-fi scenario and then on top of that you've got mark hamill doing an doing like i don't know like a you ain't my you ain't my mother quite literally yo you ain't my father um (laughs) yes i am moment um but for science fiction nerds and making it you know you know everybody loves that scene but at the same time you have to admit like you say um mark hamill really does take it over the top um but yeah but it almost it almost doesn't matter because it just it hit all of us as this sucker punch. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can actually go on YouTube now and watch kids where their parents obviously want to share their love of Star Wars with them. Mm. And there's loads of uh, moms and dads who film their kids' reaction to that moment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So it's, I've you seen know, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds watching it. And their reaction is so expressive and vivid. Yeah. And you go, wow, even now, you know, 30 years it, later, it's such this a is pure, still hitting. Yeah. yeah, such a pure moment of cinema. I, I think, like you say, it really is one of those moments. And it's a good thing you brought this one up because if you didn't, I would have done. Um, <laughs> because I feel that the, you know, to really make it, make it in cinema history, uh, be it Hollywood, British, independent, you know, whatever sector of the world of cinema that there is, um, of different cultures and such i feel for to constantly surprise different generations is something we can only strive for in this industry yeah and you know yeah it's just perfect and i think there's there's going to be you know as we go through the list you're going to see films for me can can hit on different levels a film Mm. can work on this epic level a film can work on a very personal storytelling level or an emotional level and this, and, and you know, when we get to number one, we'll touch on it again. Are, yeah. are two examples of just the magic of cinema. Yeah. Of that, you know, and I think they encompass that for me. Yeah, uh, and since you mentioned um, pers- uh, like the personal nature of things, it's quite apt that you said that because the next example, um, you met me at a very strange time in my life. So, yes, so this is. I'm going to try and discuss this with as little spoilers as possible. Yeah, because as so much not, as we I'm could, not going to give away yeah, the twist. As much as we could but... do a spoiler all episode, <laughs> I don't think it'd be. I mean, I think people should really experience this film for themselves. Like Star yes. Wars, we can give away that. That's fine. Everybody should have seen that. But this one, yeah. you need to watch yourself. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen Fight Club, go out, stop the podcast, go out, watch Fight Club, come back yes, to it. Do it um, now. <laughs> this, is, this is a quote from the end literally the end shots of uh, Fight Club. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's because that film is kind of our inner angst. Fight Club really represents the frustration we have with the modern world, you know, as drones, as workers in that world. Um, And obviously not all of us are are at the level that it shows. I hope not. I mean, fingers Um, crossed. I really hope not. I hope we're not all trapped in grey boxes wanting to release our inner like fight club demons uh <laughs> i was gonna say i'm more worried about the you know mass murdering psychopaths but... I, mean, I mean there's that as well you know i mean i was trying to uh, touch on it lightly but you know there's <laughs> there's so much to und- un- and you know unpacking that film but yeah continue on <laughs> but but the moment for me is a great moment because it shows that even you you can you can use cinema and you can use extreme ways to just show a very personal story and I know it's strange describing Fight Club as a personal story, but actually it's, it's probably as personal mm. as it gets. And yeah. it it is a, a a moment you never expect to end up at. Yes. Where someone can reconcile with who they are, what they are, what's going on around them, and actually 
express that to someone else mm. as well. And it's it's a great example of character growth mm. and acknowledging where he's come from. So for me, it's it's a fantastic moment because it's a good example of all those great tenets of storytelling, which is what cinema is. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I completely agree with that. So um, yeah, like we like Gov just said, everybody who's listening to the podcast, um, if you have not seen Fight Club, obviously we're not really meant to talk about Fight Club. Most of you should get that reference. But pause the podcast, watch it now, find it somewhere. It's probably on Amazon Prime. Get the DVD, Blu-ray, whichever is your fancy. Just buy it. Uh, watch it now because, you know, it's essential if you are if you want to consider yourself a film buff, at least in most people's eyes. Even if you don't like it, which, to be honest, I can't see how you wouldn't, um, you should definitely watch it, at least for the experience. Like Gov just said, it's the experience I feel is... You, it's like a rush. I, I'm not going to say much more because I need people need to watch it. But it's like a sudden burst of, I don't know, such craziness and yeah, just so much to unpack in that film. But yeah, I'll let you guys watch that um, after you finish this podcast or right right now. Uh, moving on to the next one in your list. Uh, so we've titled this one "The Greatest Trick the Devil Ever Pulled," uh, and that is yes. the ending of a film that you're going to talk to, to us about right now. So it's kind of impossible for me to talk about this one without spoilers. Same. So I am going to spoil this. If, spoiler if alert, guys. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Go out and watch it. The film we're talking about is The Usual Suspects, directed yes. by Brian Singer. Um, for me, it was, it, was a, it was a film that took me by surprise. I didn't know what to expect going into it. And it's, again, a film which shows you just the power of someone who's completely in control of their story and what they can do with it. Because for an entire film, you believe one thing about the character and and this moment at the end, he actually shows you that this person who you've kind of passed off as your narrator, as the weakling in the story, um, they, they refer to him as, you know, a cripple um, because he does have, um, I believe it's partial palsy or something like that. Yeah, I think um, that's something like that. Him. And you realise at the end, as he walks out, you know, Kevin Spacey's performance, his body changes, his body language mm. changes, the entire performance changes, and you realize that you've literally sat through someone telling you an entire lie built up by <laughs> what he's seen in front of him. So he's been sat there picking plot points from what's in the room. And it's an amazing moment that you only truly get to experience once because the second time you go back, you start trying to figure out where he's getting those story items from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So again, it's a nice, it's a nice way of using perspective in cinema to actually play with the audience play with your expectations and setting you up and um not not adding it to this list but as a similar moment if you've ever seen the prestige oh the yes. first shot of the prestige actually tells you the answer to all the questions yes and then you go through the whole film and you don't realize it and oh. when they finally show it to you you go oh bloody hell Yes, yes. Uh, no, honestly, I had that same, uh, again, not adding to the, it to the list, but that another one. I mean, me and Gov have a, I will let you guys in on this. Um, I have a love-hate, re we have a love-hate relationship with Christopher Nolan. Um, it's yeah. safe, safe to say, <laughs> to put it cleanly. Um, we love some things, but there are other things we don't. And we discussed this at great lengths beyond the walls of this podcast. Uh, but yeah, so that one obviously... I, I like The Prestige. I'm a bit of a fan of The Prestige. I mean, I think it's because I just love Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I just think he's great. That's true. Everyone loves Hugh Jackman. You know, how can you not? Like, nicest Australian ever. Um, next to, like, well, there's probably a couple of people who'd be like, there's someone much better. But, you know, to be honest, Hugh Jackman, 
best guy. He plays Wolverine, for God's sake. He's brilliant. Exactly. You know. Um, but yeah, so moving... Uh, so obviously, so far, we've had the juggernaut that is Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, we've had Fight Club. We won't talk much more about that. Uh, and the ending of The Usual Suspects. Um, now, these last two of your, your picks, uh, before we move on, because I've prepared some as well that I'd like us to discuss. Um, the next one, I have to say is one of my favourites on your list. I, I, I absolutely love it. It's it makes me I you could probably tell guys in my um in my voice I'm getting very giddy about this because I'm picturing it right now in my in my head. Um and it is I'll, I'll let you say it Gov because you know I think you have a great voice and gravitas for the quote. Uh... <laughs> it is it is the moment from Avengers Endgame and is the moment when Steve Rogers says Avengers Assemble. Assemble! And, oh, it's yeah. I, I just love every, it. I, I can't I can't tell you how many times I've watched that film and every single time it gets to me. Mm. Um, now, I get goosebumps. Honestly, <laughs> I feel the same. I get goosebumps literally sitting there. And even before... Right, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Like, If you haven't seen Endgame, <laughs> we're going to just spoil it right now for you. I'm really sorry. Can't hold it in. Literally, the minute the hammer goes up, like yeah it just oh i get goosebumps and also the point i was going to say as well even because obviously and i'm sure you're the same the amount of times i've watched it i start to get goosebumps even before the hammer gets thrown down before it even yeah. get comes up it's just a brilliant moment but yeah tell us more about why well, you love it the, i mean the interesting thing about this film is there are so many moments you could pick you could have picked mm. when uh, he first lifts Thor's hammer. You yeah. could have picked... Uh, for me, actually, the most maybe emotional moment for me is when he stands there and the whole army's there and you just hear the um, voice of Falcon being like, Cap, on your left. Yeah. And the, yes, the, you yes. Know, everything starts to open up. That, like, literally my spine tingles and yeah. it's goosebumps. And it, it's also an emotional thing because it's Cap there by himself and everyone showing up. Um, but the reason why I, I picked Avengers Assemble is it is... The culmination of something that so much. never in my yeah never in my life did I think I would see that you know and mm. I I think we we have enough of an age difference that you maybe grew up younger in the comic books movies yeah. Thing era yeah I would um, say I, yeah I was gonna say I, I I I don't have a very good track record I mean I was what was it when Iron Man came out the first one I was how old was I I was just I was leaving primary school beginning secondary school so sorry everyone who's listening and sounds very uh, who who now feels very old um but yeah i was that was when i where i was and obviously the only superhero films i'd seen but like obviously i was massively into the harry potter films um and like, yeah. so in terms of blockbusters the only ones i'd seen i'd seen the fantastic four movie um not the silver surfer um but just the first fantastic four movie and, and not fan four stick uh, that that dreadful thing <laughs> whatever that terrible thing is um but oh, yeah, yeah terrible terrible film um <laughs> even by the trailer standards oh horrible um sorry guys for fans of fan four stick it's terrible <laughs> just get yourself reevaluated um but yeah so honestly um yeah i didn't have much of an experience of like spider-man the toby Maguire ones that was the other that was, those were the big ones for me yeah. um but literally so those big ones but you know you expected sequels maybe you get two or three movies in a run of a comic book thing like x-men you know kind of kick-starting a lot of that um profitability in, in comic book films for marvel but yeah uh, and spider-man knocking it out of the park but at no point did we ever think you know all these worlds were going to collide and you're going to have something this big and this so knowing it was end game as well knowing it's the yeah. end knowing you're going to say goodbye to a lot of these that moment just 
it's like a, a it's a nerd a geek's dream it's a childhood yes. dream oh. uh, it's a moment of payoff and you know all of that just when you see it and not something you can do you know we're not going to mm. have this next year we're not going to have it the year after no it's something that comes about once every and i had the 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 privilege of watching it um on its first release um and then i had the privilege of of watching it subsequently in in you know its normal cinema mm. run multiple times and every time you get this energy from the audience yeah that's that's something that you know because of the generation that we are although i realize the irony of saying this now uh, empire strikes back wasn't in cinemas when we were kids no we did get the special editions and i realize Mm. it's in the cinemas now guys but um it was a different thing it wasn't fresh you know whereas this was so it was the first time that that Mm. real collective comic book fanboy energy kind of all comes together that you feel just being in that cinema you feel like you're part of something bigger honestly i i I couldn't agree more and literally i mean i could talk about this all day but just to wrap up on this one for me personally i because i i saw i i went to see infinity war the year before uh and obviously i was buzzed about that there was a reaction at the end like oh my god what is going on um but not as way no way as much as when i went to see endgame i when i went to see i went to see it twice actually um i think no infinity war i went to see twice and endgame i saw once but once was enough because it was just oh pure magic and literally there was there's videos that have gone around i mean i'm sure you can search these up on youtube the videos that have gone around that have circulated of I think it's American audiences. Now, British audiences in cinemas, um, obviously pre-COVID um, and pre-virus and stuff, they are very, we're very sensible, I would say, in the sense that, you know, we don't go for those big <gasps> and cheering and applaud, applauding moments. But, oh, but um, you do for Endgame. But for Endgame, you do. You do. You get. You either yeah. go hard or you go home. Like, that. there's no in-between. You either go out there or you go home. Um, it's just, it literally, the minute, the minute the hammer rose, everything, there was I felt such a I gasped audibly everybody gasped in the cinema it was oh it was amazing and and obviously the the main moment which we're discussing assemble it just got everybody like literally everybody clapped and also people clapped at the end when they did the um the title card bits with all the actors signatures and stuff at the end yeah which was such an emotional moment of the movie yeah yeah but I think it also helps because this was in a unique position where you you left the cinema watching infinity war gutted and and emotionally drained so this was also a payoff for a year of waiting yes which you don't normally get you no know? it was it was i mean put it this way it didn't do what happened when it didn't happen what happened with um the original spider-man trilogy we didn't get uh spider-man 2 to spider-man 3 reaction upgrade or downgrade in most cases um we definitely most certainly got the best treatment ever um but yeah anyway we're gonna have to move on because uh we could talk about this all day i think we should just do a whole podcast dedicated to avengers like just avengers infinity war and endgame together just like do a solid solid hour long one do an hour long one why not um but yeah uh i would say so we're moving on to your final uh your final moment um and that is again this one gives me chills and although Again, I wasn't born when this was released. Um, I think I've got the date right. It's 1993. It's the inevitable, the, the, the amazing, and it's even more amazing because there is a film, hopefully, I think, coming out next year because they're in the middle of production of it now, of the third um, of the sequel 
trilogy, as it were. But yeah, take it away. Yeah. So this is the moment when um, Richard Hammond says, welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome to and Jurassic Park. It's just, uh, it, yeah. it's so good. It's, I I can't even spoiler, convey. Spoiler alert, there are dinosaurs in this movie. Lots and uh, lots of dinosaurs. Lots and lots of dinosaurs. <laughs> but for me, this was a moment, you know, that whole bit because it's the first time they really show the dinosaurs you've hinted at it before mm. um, in a sort of cold open teaser yeah but this is the first time we see the dinosaurs you know in this big field walking and the joy on the characters faces the joy yeah. on everyone's and the giddy little santa claus that is richard hammond <laughs> oh i uh, love it I, do you know what? it's by, so I mean, oh yeah richard attenborough honestly i'm so it's so sad that he's not with us sorry, anymore john hammond oh yeah sorry, yeah yeah john, john hammond, hammond yeah <laughs> Um, so sad yeah all that energy and and also it was the first time we were seeing these creations you know Mm. 1993 we're not saturated with everything the way we are now no so that was a that was the movie magic moment of you know almost that decade you know um there are genuinely some moments that you stop and go holy crap how did they do that (laughs) um and this was was that moment Mm. and even if you take that out, I mean, I, I've watched Jurassic Park at least once a year for the last decade. So, yeah, um, I need a life. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I love movies, clearly. Uh, I mean, don't we all? Still, don't we all? Yeah, and it still gets me every time because it's still just a joyous moment of of that energy. And, mm. you know, one thing that we, we started the podcast talking when we were talking about our, our mutual friendship with Ben the music in that mm, moment. I was going to actually mean, say... that score is honestly, one of... It, that score is probably my fav, favourite film score because it's perfect. even now you can play... Yeah, you can play a few notes on the piano and it hits you in the feels in that nostalgia. And it's, and it's just so... It's just so pure. It's like... It's, it's Steven Spielberg at his best because, again, yeah. another and, debate which we could have on and on. Obviously, we've mentioned... Which is the thing. So Remember, many others. It's Spielberg at his best because he's also in that same year he does Schindler's List. Yeah, that Good is very God. true. That's very true, actually. Back to back. I didn't actually know, think that... about that. Not gonna lie, I didn't think about that. Um. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah that gives that gives you perspective. Um. Certainly does. Two juggernauts of the cinema. One for fun and dinosaurs, yeah. and the other for very sad, long, long time to what well, yeah just a very sad story uh watch Schindler's list guys because you know why not add it to the list um <laughs> add it to the list of well, many I think, I think if, you, if you've never sat and listened to the Jurassic Park score without the visuals mm. do it because you know just close your eyes and listen to the score every time you can take something different away from it it's such a powerful score it's just yeah. an uplifting piece of music about the power of what we can do it is it's honestly just perfect and um it's funny you should mention the role of music because I'm about to... So that was Gov's top five. Um, I'm yeah. going to now sort of segue into my own mini top five, which we'll go through fairly quickly, just uh, briefly with a few of them. Um, but you mentioned the role of music, and I know we both have a very sh- a shared love uh, of this film that I'm going to mention now. And the mo- my, one of my top movie moments, this is number one. I'm going to go in, river- in, in the opposite order to you. <laughs> we'll just mess this all up. Um, but it's... I'm Gatsby, uh, as spoken by the wonderful Leonardo DiCaprio and his dulcet tones uh, in the 2013 Baz Luhrmann film, The Great Gatsby. Now, I just want to warn you um, on listening on the podcast, 
I I know that people don't really like this film for several reasons, including the mismatched um, soundtrack in the sense that it's got traditional and R&B pop songs in it. But to be honest, I don't care. I, I love it. And and I know Gov will agree with me and back me up here. So, you know, you, you'll find... I mean, it's two against the rest of the world or however many people... I do, I do love it. it. I mean, I, I know we, we have a shared love of, of Baz Luhrmann films. I was surprised when you very easily labelled Hugh Jackman earlier as the best Australian. Yeah, I, thought, I, I mean, I'd say... Baz Luhrmann, you know. Australian actor, shall we say... Uh, um, uh, Australian actor, a uh, best Australian director is definitely Baz Luhrmann. I mean, to be honest, actually, uh, well, no offense to Australian directors because I do know there are many, obviously, um, but obviously I only really know of Baz Luhrmann, which it'd be quite nice actually to have another breakout um, star from Australia in terms of like directing. I mean, because I know like yeah. I, we've got so many Australian like actors and actresses, you know, that have come over and you know really made it big in America and various American movies. Um, and some of them I actually genuinely forget they're they're Australian for so long. Like I, I who's it? Is it Nicole Kidman? Nicole Kidman is she Australian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's Australian again. It's one you'd never think, but you know, because she's in so many American yeah. films, and it's just it's amazing coming, to me. Coming coming swiftly back to Gatsby, though. Can you can you tell us? So what what is what is it that you love about that moment? Oh me, well. I, I love the way it's shot. So going back to getting really down to a technical side of things, the cinematic language of it is beautiful. In a sense, you know, we've for, I think it's the first the first um thirty minutes of the film or so. It's quite a long time. You do not see Gatsby. Yeah. And you see a bit of him before, like a figure and like the hand, um before um Toby Maguire's Nick Carraway gets invited to the uh one of his parties at his mansion. Uh, but you don't see anything else of him. And it's quite funny that we then see, the next time we see Gatsby, we see his hand again, and that's all we see. And then we start to see a bit of his body. It's it's like the way, the way Baz Luhrmann has crafted it, it's beautifully done in the sense that it really, you know, people go, oh, what Gatsby, this Gatsby? It's, you know, a big character, and you don't want to introduce yeah, yeah. him so flatly. So you want to be able to introduce him with such gusto and amazement, and he really delivers. He puts you in Nick Carraway's shoes, doesn't he? Because Carraway is obviously figuring out who is Gatsby, who is Gatsby, and you as the audience are on that journey with him as it well. Really does, and it's honestly it's so well taught. And then, so obviously, you see parts of him, and then eventually, if anyone like uses gifts quite regularly, if you type in Gatsby, that is one of the top ones, and it's my go-to gif for anything that's like celebrate, oh, yeah. well done, um, where he's cheering the the little champagne glass and he goes i'm gatsby and it's the the use of the music the the blue da, um uh blue rhapsody i think it uh, rhapsody in blue sorry rhapsody in blue by um gershwin i think which is a very long piece of music you can get it find it any on youtube i believe um in its full entirety it's about 12 minutes long i think it's very long but it's a beautiful piece of music and it's been used in so many things but it's the release of energy with the fireworks and it's just, I love it, um, oh, but yeah, just a quick rundown of, of a couple of others. As I realise, we we're not tight for time, but yeah, want to go through some of these quickly. Um, for those of you who have been on listen to the podcast uh, recently and kept up to date, I have mentioned my love of the film The Perks of Being a Warflower from twenty twelve, which stars Logan Lerman and Emma Watson and Ezra Miller in it. Uh, the moment I picked from that one was the tunnel song moment, um, specifically the one from the end of the film with the final monologue with um Logan Lerman's Charlie in which he sort of talks about how optimistic the future's looking like it's uncertain but it's very it's very hopeful and it eventually concludes in 
It's got a beautiful score. I forget the guy's name, but it's a beautiful score. And then it bursts in all of a sudden with David Bowie's Heroes, which we hear earlier in the similar setting. Yeah. And it's just it's such a release. And it's lo- it's beautifully shot. It's like got a nice nice orangey sort of yellow like bright tone to it it's so wonderfully shot i just uh, i i love it every time i watch it, it gives me goosebumps um that's great, great it, it, it's a lovely film uh other ones i'd like to mention the heist the whole heist in jackie brown um from 1990 oh, yeah. uh, from tarantino uh, the whole heist in that one um where they literally so then for those of you who haven't seen it watch it but spoiler alert um the actual heist where we see the different people arriving at different times and we get to see all the different versions of the time slots of like Yeah. It's um, definitely definitely the underrated lost film of Tarantino. It definitely is. I mean I hear I, I think I read somewhere that he's like, Oh, it's his least favourite film, even though it's probably one of his best films, because it's not a Tarantino film in the sense that he didn't, he didn't write it. Yeah, really. he he merely adapted it from a from a brilliant novel, but like I and he made an equally brilliant film, but I would yeah, it's a gem. It's one of my favourites, not just because it was out the year that I was born, but it's brilliant. Uh, again, something to make people feel old out there if you're listening. <laughs> uh, another one of my moments is the. It's a really s- simple, sweet moment, but the Peter and MJ, uh, Peter Parker and um, MJ from Spider Man: Far From Home, they finally kiss on the Tower of London, uh, uh, the bridge. Oh, interesting. I like that one. It's because I'm a bit of a sucker. I'm a bit of a, for like romance. I like no, a little. I, I, I thought when you were scene. going for Spider Man and MJ, you were going to do the the upside down kiss from Spider Man One. Oh no, no. Well, I mean, I I, that was going to be. A... I do like that one. That is the original, like for me, the original Spider Man moment. But I really love Far From Home. I'm a bit of a sucker. It, it it's a teen movie, but with superheroes in it, and I just love it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things. It's just it brilliant. And then finally, um, well, I, uh, the last one I'd like to point out um, is is a song called... Is it, it's not the obvious choice, but from the 1980 film Fame, and it's called Is It Okay If I Call You Mine? That's the name of the song sung by a guy called Paul McCrane, um, who, if anyone's seen the film, he's the guy with the ginger afro. Uh, uh, he's the he's the gay... Uh, the young gay man... Um, who gets obviously because of that that's one of the issues that the uh, part of the film explores his you know dealing with his homosexuality in the time the time of the 80s in New York City um and you know just in the business that he's in and general coming of age sort of you know traditional coming of age stuff in that sense but obviously at the time it was quite you know groundbreaking in the sense that you know it was quite an honest like there was other performances you know throughout cinema but this one for me I think really is such a nice moment so montgomery so the guy uh paul mccrane plays montgomery um mcneil who is basically the third wheel half the time with um two of these other characters uh i encourage everyone to watch it just so you get the full context but basically he's third wheeling these two this couple and it's it's a lovely shot it pans across um new york city and it's i i've got the blu-ray copy and it really looks really nice and it pans across and you can hear the beeping of the new york uh, like taxis and everything and it's wonderful and you could just hear the music slowly fade in and then we we zoom in we zoom into his little apartment where he's just sat in a window and there's a flashing red neon light behind him um in contrast to his lovely sweet acoustic uh guitar based song and it's a lovely moment in the film and it's just such a like fame itself the actual title song is brilliant and out here on my own is another favorite of mine but that one i think in terms of the way it's shot 
and then it uh, you know it's just beautifully done and the look of the city is amazing and then it transitions to a like a rocky horror picture show um uh night uh which is a very good yeah. contrast and it's it's brilliantly uh timed and toned perfectly because you get the beginning of the over at the frankenstein place like the um you come here on a very special night it just for the audio yeah. from rocky horror fades in and i think that's a genius move from alan parker there i love alan parker as people will probably know now oh it was i think it's a fantastic film for me paul mccrane unfortunately i will always remember him from robocop oh god uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> in a very very different role but that that's a beautiful moment in fame yeah it's brilliant brilliant film um but yeah any last remarks you'd like to make on like just in general uh, at all no, before we I, conclude I, I think it ends up being a very personal thing and i think you know going through your list and my list you can see that it's also how the films have affected us as individuals and you know I think everyone's going to have a different moment or a different top five. And it's not a competition of, is this the best film? Or is this the best moment in cinema or this or that? Because take Avengers Endgame, for instance, if you have no emotional connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and those films, yeah. that's just a moment where a group of guys get together and, and charge. You know? <laughs> char- char- yeah, they get together. They're like, there's a big purple guy that we don't like with yeah. some ugly creatures. We don't like the way he's running things. We're going to beat him up, you and know. About- but, Half of them are in tights with a giant CGI ant. So, yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it, it really comes down to your emotional connection yeah. to those moments. But there's great storytellers are able to sort of exploit that and really hit those moments really, really mm. well. And that's really across all of them. Yeah, I, and I couldn't agree more. And it's like, you know, I have my emotion. I like... I mean, we've both, I've recently discovered, it's not film at all, but I've recently discovered Stranger Things on Netflix because I got a Netflix subscription finally. Um, Some people are like, he's never had Netflix before, why? Um, But yeah, I finally watched that and I love the the coming of age stuff. I've become quite fond, maybe that just says something about me, maybe that just says that I'm quite sad and I like to be stuck in the past of being young, even though I'm not really old yet, but I still like that period of pivotal moment in in time but yeah i just so i love that stuff so you know stuff like perks of being a wallflower the harry potter franchise even stuff yeah. like avengers you know it's it doesn't do i mean apart from spider-man obviously it doesn't really deal with like coming of age stuff but if you're a fan and you're so invested and this is goes for anything you're so invested in anything um like from a film franchise or just like a couple of films or like one of your very most favorite films i feel it really does say something about how much you are emotionally connected like you say um it's it's a great testament to the works of these directors actors and everybody that's been involved yeah and um that's my little rant for how uh how important the cinema is as we <laughs> continue on in this life um but yeah i i just want i'm gonna wrap that up now but um i've this has been lovely having you on if i could do a oh, five hour podcast a five hour podcast with you genuinely would um i i would love it um but yeah we can't obviously not invite ben yeah don't yeah don't invite ben yeah who who wants ben um <laughs> i mean you know he just you know he can play like the violin in the background you know like yeah we'll let him score the podcast while we talk yeah score the podcast like we'll score like his like when we're dissing him it's like the sad moments of you know oh ben he's just over in the corner <laughs> with his little violin <laughs> hello ben if you're listening <laughs> because <laughs> he probably is um but yeah so thank you very much for coming on the podcast um i very much enjoyed having you on um is there anything you'd like to say um like in general like uh, like film wise any fil- new films you're looking forward to coming out next year 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how cinema changes after all of this. How how society is presented differently. Do we gloss over it in cinema? Or do we incorporate it into that? And also how much we've we learned to value this, you know, because I think being locked down, everyone's kind of, a lot of people have grown in appreciation and a love for yeah. some more TV and some more films. Honestly. So I'm, I'm just excited for what, what that future holds and what all these new streaming platforms and stuff can bring yeah. to more of these experiences. Yeah, and they need to start building. Um, is it, Obviously, cinema is the temple of all film movie buffs and everything like that. But, you know, they should really start making, um, you know, obviously we, a little bit controversial, but they should probably start making statues of... Um, of like you know great uh, like palaces just make them like roman coliseums but cinemas that be that would be great i'd love to <laughs> that see that amazing that would be amazing um We're but yeah going back to the golden age <laughs> i mean not entirely there's some things i would not like to repeat from the golden age i would say <laughs> no. um but that's a topic for another day so thank you for being my guest on today's podcast um uh gov it's been brilliant having you on brilliant just to chat to you so openly and very in a very nerdy way uh so thank you very much <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so that's a wrap on Take 97 uh, film podcast. Tune in next time for another episode of God Knows What, because, you know, I, I just make it up as I go along, really. It's just rolling with the times. Uh, but I've been David Ingram, and he's been Govin Chandran, and I will see you again soon. Thank you, guys. <laughs>